Welcome back to the Act 2 Podcast, a podcast for the real-life working screenwriter. I'm Tasha Hugh. And I am Josh Hallman. And as a reminder, Act 2 is a network and support group for everyday working screenwriters. We haven't done this part in a while. No. Of which this podcast is just one of the many things we do. So thank you for joining us here. And please remember to subscribe to the podcast, particularly as we come into the new year, because all of our cool topics are going to pop up on your phone if you subscribe. And you can be like, nah, I don't want to listen to that one. But like, ooh, I'm glad that I know this one exists. Yeah. And, so and rate the podcast. podcast so other people can hear the podcast. Yeah. I had two thoughts. In the year 2023, Tasha. Mm which is just around the corner. Oh, yeah. We are going to make video. We're going to post videos with these podcasts. We've been saying this for two years now, and I swear to God, it's happening. Okay. It's happening. Mark so my words. So I can't words. come like I am now in my pajamas. No, this is exactly how we're going to... When we first do it, you and I are going to be like dressed up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing a dress. <laughs> I have my suit on. And then the second thing is... At some point down the road, I, I was thinking about all the podcasts we've done. And like when whenever we do the Patreon, we should bundle the topics like, you know, we, we can have topics for um, I don't know why I'm talking about this on the podcast, but it can, <laughs> <laughs> it's just like this off conversation. You know what? <laughs> Never mind. That was just one thing. <laughs> one thing. No. Why I, should we bundle? Bundle like, um, you know, the uh, Pitching is Terrible series. Boom. There are all yes, the episodes. Definitely. And then bundle this week's in writing. Generals. Generals. This week's boom, writings. Boom, all those different you things. You know what we haven't done in a while? Huh? Our fireside chat. <sighs> I'm missing the fireside chats. I love fireside chats. If we could rename this podcast the fireside chats, <laughs> I would do it. <laughs> I love it. Anyway, all right. All right. Let's start with some this week's in writings. Yeah. I have two things. One is. This article that has come out on the Ankler mm -hmm. about this writer. I mean, this isn't a This Week in Writing. It's a This Week in News because we don't have a the Newsies segment. that You won't let no. me call it the Newsies. Um, <laughs> no, this is, this is This Week in Writing. This shit is crazy, this story. This shit is crazy. So on the Ankler, look it up. The, this Grey's Anatomy writer, Elizabeth Finch, has lied her entire career on Grey's Anatomy about multiple things. Now, Grey's Anatomy, we know, is like a hospital show, right? So this woman has lied that she had bone cancer. She lied that her brother committed suicide when, in fact, he is alive and well and practicing medicine, and he's a doctor. Yeah. She has lied about knowing people, either in her family or friends, that were killed in a terrorist attack at a Jewish temple. <laughs> Like just her, her, the laundry list of lies are numerous. And this article is fascinating because she was found out, but the, the lengths with, with, with which she went to capitalize on this lie is so fascinating. Like for example, she taped a dummy catheter to her arm and shaved her head to feign that she was undergoing chemotherapy. And she would come to the writer's room with an IV going into this like fake <laughs> thing that it went to nowhere. <laughs> like it went to nowhere and, and she, she got it like all of these, cause she worked on a hospital show. So she got all these little things that were just from props <laughs> that she would use and claim that, um, and apparently it, it went 
So I've heard of writers who do this in writers' rooms. Um, there was one famously recently, which we talked about on the podcast, who was pretending to be a veteran on some kind of military show. And it went so far until they, they actually hired an additional consultant who was actually a veteran, and he started calling her on her shit. So this happens before where people lie in order to get jobs. But this woman, it seemed to go even further than that. Like, it wasn't just, I'm lying that I have cancer so that I can work on a hospital show. It was like she would have other people write her scripts for her or write her outlines because she was too weak or sick to do it. She would- This is unbelievable. It's this is insane. just nuts. She would like call people late at night, just like talk about how sad she was or how difficult her life was because of X, Y, and Z that was happening. That wasn't actually happening at all. And what's interesting is the way she was found out was she took herself or checked herself into this recovery center for, for trauma, um, which she may or may not have even had, and then fell in love with a woman who was also there in recovery who happened to be a nurse. And so they got married, and this nurse very quickly realized that her wife was lying to her and lying to all of their friends and family. And she was like, you have to come clean. And so she came clean to a few of their friends and family, but it quickly became too uncomfortable for this writer. And she was like, I'm, I'm not doing it anymore. So the wife is actually the one who called Shonda Rhimes and was like, you're being fooled. Mm. My wife is a liar. None of what she says is true. But like it, it went so far. I mean, the reason why this is a This Week in Writing for writers on a screenwriting podcast um, is because the like the room dynamics are so interesting mm -hmm. because people would pitch on like cancer ideas and she would say like actually that's not my experience yeah. that's not what I've been through so I don't think that's how and you're like wait so all these things yeah. not only was she manipulating all the other writers but like her pitches were insane literally it, 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 this is crazy to me this is one of those things where when I when you hear it at first, I, I, the, my natural tendency is to be like, oh, shit, and just kind of giggle. But then you think about it, and you're like, yeah. oh, shit. This was, yeah. this is terrible. Like, this crossed so many different lines and is so disrespectful to so many different people that I, I, it's just, it, it, is a, it is a wild story. I guess don't lie like this. Like, if you're thinking about it, to get a job. Everyone lies or fabricates something, but don't yeah. make up an illness to this extent. I've made up illnesses to get out of like things, <laughs> but not like this. Well, it's like I have a cold. <laughs> yeah, I can't yeah, come I have, to your party. I have a cold. I, um, <laughs> I can't make it. I'm sorry. I, I have a cold. Yeah, this is nuts. But I, I weirdly, I feel like, and I'm, I'm just. This is just me making this up. I have no other uh, sources to, or like no other things to point to aside mm -hmm. from your mil military story. But like, I bet this happens more often than not where people come up with really elaborate stories um, to get themselves in a room or something. It's interesting because, I mean, there are a myriad of reasons why this woman and other people do it that are personal and they need much of much of therapy. That's a good sentence, Tasha. They need a lot of therapy for, but there's also the element of, you're right, getting a job as a TV writer is really, really hard. Mm -hmm. And you typically, A, like can not get into it unless you know someone. How I got into it was like still shocking to me. It just so happened that the showrunner I worked with for the first time 
specifically did not want to hire people he knew, which is unheard of. Mm. Everyone always wants to hire people they know. So there's that element. And then once you're in it, particularly in network TV, which is where this woman worked, it's extremely competitive and extremely cutthroat where literally other writers in the writer's room want to see your outrageous downfall so that they can continue to have job security. It's terrible and (laughs) difficult, and it is understandable why some people would lie in order to maintain their jobs, but don't do it. Don't do it. I'm not going to uh, write a script about this woman, but if someone did want to write a blacklist script about this woman, it would probably be a blacklist script. Oh, they will. I'm sure. I mean, I think the reason she even did this interview on Angler was because she's trying to sell her life rights. I hope no one buys them. Someone will buy them. (laughs) So go out there and buy them if you guys want to. I fucking hate when people get rewarded for this shit. I really do. I really hate this. I really, this is like, just, just go, just go away. That's all. That's all. That's, oh, that, okay. That's a, that's a. (laughs) That's one of my this week's writing. (laughs) That's a hard opinion. (laughs) I get it though. You want to hear certain stories. I understand that. Uh, Um. It is fascinating how you get to this point. But when you read the article, it becomes less fascinating and just really sad where she says that the reason why it started was because when she was, I think, in her 30s or something, she had a a knee injury when she was hiking in L.A. And everyone was so supportive Mm. that as soon as she healed and her phone stopped ringing from people offering support, the silence was deafening and she missed people showing up for her. So it was a loneliness and an emptiness. And so she realized that if she starts lying about illnesses, people show up again and it just spiraled out of control. And I actually know someone who faked having cancer for that exact reason. So it's more common than we think and it comes from a really sad place. Um, is it worth a movie? I don't, no. Well, it's just she's sad. You know what? I take it back. I'm in. I'll watch it because <laughs> <laughs> you just made me empathize with her. I, I just felt I get it. You're right. Yeah. It's like, you know, you, you hear about these relationships. This is nowhere near, but relationships where someone fakes being sick because they want the attention of the other person, like yeah. after a breakup or something. And uh, yeah, it, the attention's a, a crazy thing. It's, it's addicting when it goes away. You just want it back. That was her thing. <sighs> All right. So listen. Oh, I should have transitioned into this. Uh, the Blacklist just came out last week With uh, by the time this episode comes out. I read over. We have to, first of all, give a shout out to Nicole Ramberg. Nicole, great job. She's on the blacklist. She was once a guest. She's going to be a guest again. She doesn't know it yet. She's going to come back on and talk about the blacklist. (laughs) But, you know, I was looking, you know, reading over the log lines and I might be wrong about this, but I feel like the commercial sensibility of the blacklist has kind of ratcheted up a little bit. Like, I feel like some of the log lines were a little more commercial. I don't know. Is that even possible? I I I don't know. That's just... I, more like a lot of them, the log lines. I was like, oh, I'd watch that. I'd watch that. I'd watch so that. So usually we find that the the blacklist is more like like premium, Oscar-y bait. Is that what you're trying to say? I, I'm trying to say sometimes, not all the time, but there are a lot of log lines and scripts where 
they are, I'm sure they're amazing scripts, but for me personally, in my taste, I'm just, I wouldn't maybe run out to go watch it or read the script. But in this case, I feel like there were a lot of scripts where I was like, oh, I'm interested in this. I want to read what this is. And I want to know more about this. And Were they more genre and adventure action kind of log lines? No, I just felt like they were a little more broad. Okay. I've only read Nicole Ramberg's log line. So oh, okay. <laughs> I've not gone through the list yet. Okay. <laughs> Maybe, I mean, I, I could be proven wrong. But I, I got excited reading a couple of them. That's all. It's interesting. Yeah. Because more people want to make those movies because more people seem to show up for those movies. So, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I could I have no other comments. I don't, I don't really have I've not have read any. anything yet. Are you going to be on the blacklist next year? Should you know, I, I feel like I've never had a dream to be on the blacklist because it always felt impossible. Oh, really? It like, it's, it's so out of my reach that there's just no way. Like, why even have a dream that I can't accomplish? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> holy shit although i do have a dream to own a castle someday and i'm still hanging on to that one so i don't know why the blacklist is not on the list yeah 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 i i could see one of those happening i would bet that the odds of you getting on the blacklist it, it, that will happen before the castle you think so i i do i do well maybe not if you if you stay in television but this is actually a good good transition into our spec that we're going to write in 2023. It is. But yeah. We're going on the blacklist, Tasha. I want to go on the blacklist, Josh. If we were on the blacklist together, <laughs> oh, that'd be so sweet. It would be so funny. <laughs> <laughs> it would. It would be amazing. All right. new. You know what? Spoiler alert. When we talk about our goals, that's going to be one of my 2023 It's going to be goals. one of them. Yeah. It's going to be great. Okay. Okay. Moving I have on. another one that comes with a question for you, I'm, Joshua Holden. Writing with a partner. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Let's say you and your wife wrote a script together. <laughs> Hang on. I'm getting hot. <laughs> I got to take my hat off. Okay. I'm ready. <laughs> but your wife doesn't want to be a writer. She wants to be a casting director. Mm -hmm. But she loves you so much and she was so engaged by this story that you guys were working on that she wrote it with you. Now you have this script written by you and your wife mm -hmm. and it's going to go out into the world. Do you take her name off it? Cause she doesn't want to be a writer. You're the writer. She doesn't care. She does not care. Really? Yeah. That's a, that's a very interesting question. I would take her name off of it, but I would want to keep it on. Because it's my wife, and I'm like, this is awesome. We're writing something together. But I feel like if she has no interest in it whatsoever, then I think I would feel like I'm forcing her into putting her name on a script. Oh, interesting. And so for the happiness of my marriage, unless she is she like, I don't care. Put my name on. Don't put my name on. That's what it is. Oh, okay. Wow. Wow. I, I, my head's spinning. I actually don't know what I would do. I would. I... Does it change things if you don't have a manager or an agent and you are sending your scripts out to managers and agents? You know what? I'd put her name on it then. Really? I would. I don't know what it is, but I feel like there's something, there's a, a strength in coming with a team 
And I just feel like if something's written by two people, uh, like you see a husband and a wife, yeah, there's something about that that's, to me, just my gut reaction. I hadn't really thought about this before, but it's something very appealing. Like, I, I feel like there's something strong about that. Okay, here's another aspect. Okay. You're not always going to write with her. She's not always going to want to write with you. It just so happens that this one script you guys wrote on together. And maybe she'll write with you in the future or like pitch ideas with you. And maybe it'll be like her idea, her log line or her basic concept that you write something on, but she's not actually writing it with you. It's like story by her, but mm -hmm. script by Josh Hallman. If you are intending to have a career by yourself with just using her help at home, mm -hmm. do you still keep her name on it? If I'm intending to have a career by myself, I'm pulling her name. I'm saying goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> That's a tricky question. This is really it's hard. difficult. It's really hard. So this, this came up, shout out to Kevin. Thanks, this Kevin. came up with someone and it's a really hard question. And it's definitely a personal qu question that you have to answer at home and decide for yourself. But my thought was, especially if it's you looking for a manager or an agent, it's very confusing mm -hmm. to them if they get a script from Josh Hallman and it says story by Nicole Hallman. Mm -hmm. And they're like, well, why isn't Nicole in this meeting? They're like, oh, well, we don't really write together. She, but she came up with this idea. So does your wife always come up with your ideas? Do mm -hmm. you come up with your own ideas? Are you guys a team together? Oh, you don't want to be a team together, but you sometimes write together? Well, how do you want me to bill, like, bill you? Or mm -hmm. how do you want me to pitch you? out in the world as a writing team or not? Because if I send this script out to a showrunner and they see that Josh Hallman's script came from a story by someone I've never heard of and is not gonna be in my writer's room that I'm trying to hire, why am I hiring Josh Hallman and not the whole team? Mm -hmm. How much of this story was Josh Hallman's and how much of this story was this person I'm not hiring? So like, it just creates so many questions yeah. that my thinking was take the wife's name off and then in your meeting, you can say, by the way, manager, agent, sometimes I do write with my wife. Not normally. I, I you know, I, this is my career and, and this is my past. She does something else. But every now, every now and again, we write something together. Just to give yeah. them a heads up rather than coming strong with this is how my career is going to look. I think that's correct. Once you laid it out like that. I, the, I think the big thing is not having representation. And yeah, that changes things. That does change things. And you're absolutely right. Going into the meeting, if you're right with someone else, they're going to expect two people. But if yeah. it's like torture on your wife to be like, I don't want to be here, which is crazy to me, by the way. Like if, if I wrote something, I would be like, we wrote that together. What, what, why are you taking my name off of this? Especially if you get divorced and you have like a, like a successful screenplay. Then well, you now still it's get... definitely 50-50. Yeah. But that's another thing, by the way, because in, well, in both features and television and any job you get, if you're a writing team, if Josh and Nicole are suddenly writing together, they have to split that money, which I guess you're married, so you split that money anyways. Yeah. yeah. But it's so much harder. Like if your wife then went to a writer's room with you, because you wrote this script together and so you get hired together, you're making one paycheck instead of her doing her job, getting her second paycheck and right. bringing that home. Right. Because in, in screenwriting, a team splits their money 
50-50. And it's already hard enough as one writer to make a living. Yeah. So all things to consider. Can I ask if, well, I guess I'll, I won't ask. I'll just present. Yeah, <laughs> um, ask. If it's Josh Holman, you right now, yeah. who knows a lot of people in the industry, you have things going for yourself, you sold stuff. Like now if you wrote something with Nicole, it'd be like, here's a script with Josh and Nicole. But I have all of that. You know me as Josh Holman already. Yeah. So it's not a big deal. Correct. I don't, it's weird because I used to think about this much more and I'd be like, oh, should I write with someone? Should I not write with someone? This and that. Mm -hmm. I, now I would write with anyone. Like literally it wouldn't bother. It wouldn't even be a blip on the radar. If someone, yeah. you, Dave, Nicole, whoever, I would just be like, yeah, we're going to write a great script because everyone kind of has their own path and it's not going to be any hindrance to any careers. Yeah. At all. Because your, your ball is already rolling. The ball is somewhere. <laughs> it's, it's flatlining. It's downhill. It's uphill. It's always spinning. I don't know where it is, but it's somewhere. <laughs> the ball is rolling somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That, I think it, it's interesting you bring this up because I actually, of course, I, don't, I mean, I don't know if, how, what your situation is, but I definitely have talked to Nicole before. We've had ideas. And there's always this idea of like, I, we've we've almost started to write things before, just like ideas we've had, and I just feel guilty like taking every idea and not putting someone else's like name on a script unless you'd be like you don't have to just out of a weird husband moral compass. I think I don't yeah. know. I would totally do it now if she was like, I have an idea, let's write something. I'm like, sweet. Like Paul has helped me break story that I've already thought of mm -hmm. or like concepts that I've already come up with or even the scripts that I've already written that I'm having issues with, he'll come in and be like, oh, well, this actually doesn't work because of this. And you're like, oh my God, Paul, you're a genius. And yeah. and and I'll, I'll fix it. But I've never, Paul and I have never come up with an idea jointly together yeah. and like actually developed it together and broke the story together. <laughs> and in that case, I also would feel like, well, this is something we wrote together but yeah. does paul want a career as a screenwriter no so at the end of the day why should his name be on the thing unless he's like i really but like why like i was gonna say unless he really wants his name to be on there but why if you don't want a career in this it totally. doesn't do anything for you i don't know i just think there's something cool to be like we wrote this together it's cool like we did it and yeah, yeah, of course, what I was talking about is exactly what you said, like in the sense of developing something, being like, I'm, I'm like, hey, Nicole, or she like comes to me and like, wow, wouldn't it be cool if we got snowed in here in Colorado? And like, it's like, oh, there's a story there. And then all of a sudden it's like, let's develop this. And then we go a little more and then we're sitting down and we're writing and yeah, from start to finish, taking time out, beating things out. I'm not talking about, of course, she listens to every, she spitballs with me like every day of my life, like. Yeah. As, as a significant other does. So I'm yeah, not talking about If you're a significant that. other of a writer, this is your job. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it, it would just, I, in my opinion, I mean, maybe Paul wouldn't think it would be cool, but I just think it'd be awesome to be like, oh yeah, they wrote something together. Like a husband and wife wrote something. That's, that's when cool. When you say it that way, it would be cool to have your name up on yeah. the credits that we, you wrote it together. We did it. We just decided to write a fucking script together and we did it. That's a big accomplishment. It's like, it's like an extra year of marriage. The romantic side is coming out, and I love it. Yeah, it's, it's a, my next my next blacklist script is a rom com about a couple that writes a script together. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That was a good one. 
That's it. That's my this week in writing this week. By the way, yeah. I, I genuinely mean this. If any, I would I would love to hear what other people have to like their opinion on exactly what you just asked. Yeah, I stumbled me too. through that. Anyone wants to, you know, shoot us a message or something. Start a Twitter thread about it. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I know you love Twitter. All right, are we going into the big thing? Let's go into our big thing. <sighs> Can I just say, we were mm-hmm. supposed to record a different thing. We are. 15 minutes before coming on, there was an email that Tasha and I read, and it fired both of us up, fired, fired up. Tasha up. Yeah. And it was like, we're pivoting <laughs> to this conversation. Yeah. I'm not going to say who it's from. Because I didn't ask for permission, but we will credit this person on the next episode if they say it's okay. How's that sound? Perfect. Okay. Hey, Tasha and Josh, this is a topic suggestion. IP and content creator responsibilities or or lack thereof. Essentially, what is the responsibility of content creators to honor the IP and how literally or figuratively should that be done? Tasha, as an adapter of both comics books, and uh, video games, what responsibility do you feel to get it right? You are now on the cusp of having your work either loved or loathed (laughs) (laughs) by fans or worse. And uh, I just lost my place. I'm I'm, I'm coming in. Josh, would True Lies, the TV show on the horizon, if you were part of that writer's room, what would your thought process be? Would you feel obligated to certain characters, certain situations, or plot points? Or would you pitch to take the material in a new direction? Which is a great question. Some content creators feel that it is only important to honor the themes of the work. Andor might be an interesting case study in creators that aren't fans of the genre adapting work. Yes, Tony Gilroy is famously not a Star Wars fan, <laughs> or was he, he was not a Bourne fan either, and yet he wrote the Bourne movies. Fans have been known to take umbrage with text that deviates too far from the material, like Lord of the Rings or Rings of Power, even when the material conflicts with itself or is unfinished. Likewise, genre fans like Star Wars, Star Trek, etc. take IP very seriously. In some cases, fans even go so far as to file petitions to have movies struck from the canon, like Star Wars Last Jedi, or entire seasons reshot, like Game of Thrones Season 10. It's intimidating for creators to say the least, and this only looks at the creative side. There's a whole nothing side of this regarding rights, production, cost, marketing, and following up another filmmaker's work like the Hellboy conundrum. So let's talk about IP and content creators' responsibility. I think it's interesting that he calls it responsibility. So yeah, that is such an interesting topic. Yeah. All right, what is the responsibility of content creators to honor the IP and how literally or figu- figuratively should that be done? This is, this is, this is, I have got my thoughts, but I feel like this is like, like if we're on Tasha Island, this is in the center of it. Well, I'm curious about the the true lies example that he offers. If you were in that writer's room and everything's fair game, Josh, what do you pitch? Do you, do you say we have to have this exact relationship in the true lies show? Is it, I have to have X, Y, Z. He has to have a daughter or he has to ride a horse through a mall. Like, what do you pitch? No, I would go off. I would just base True Lies off of, first of all, I've always thought the title True Lies is like one of the 
great titles ever for yeah. an action film. I mean, it just makes so much sense. So I would make it family oriented. I would, the only thing that I would really keep as connective tissue is I believe they work in something called like the Omega uh, division. Like their, yeah, their, their organization. Like CIA version. Their mm-hmm. CIA, their, that, their division that they work in. That is the only thing that I would keep from the original True Lies. When you say family oriented, do you just mean like tonally family? To- or do you mean you would have the, the, the Arnold, um, Jamie Lee Curtis relationship? I would probably have the husband-wife relationship and probably a father-daughter relationship, like True Lies, but try to do it a little different or like bring in a son. But I would keep the family unit of people lying to each other. Mm. I would. I don't think I would make Jamie Lee Curtis as... I don't even know what... I. To be honest, I, I haven't read the scripts. I don't even think the show's out yet. But um, I believe the show is about the Tasker family. Mm. which was Arnold and Jamie Lee Curtis. I wouldn't do that. I would branch off from that completely. So a a totally different family. Yeah, completely. What the fuck's the point? The movie came out in 1994. It's a classic. And now you're going to, you know, mess it up a little bit with rebooting it. That's actually so interesting because there's a cool version of that where it's a totally new family. And so you don't have people being like, well, that's not what Henry mm-hmm. Tasker would do. Or like, that's not how it was done. That interpretation is dumb. Instead, maybe you have your new guy, Bill Jameson. Uh, yeah. He he like maybe passes Henry Tasker in the hallway. And Completely. it's just like a cameo every now and again. It's a universe. And there's something super fun. Yeah, it's the universe that you're adapting. But it's interesting where the place where you started, which was taking the stuff that you love from the IP, yeah, which is the feeling you get from that family-oriented action movie, and then the dynamics between the family, which is that there are lies that kind of build and snowball out of control. Yeah, that's that's what makes this movie so fun. And then just do new things on top of that. That's that's what. So I in do. speaking about responsibility, you don't feel like you have a responsibility to translate that movie. I don't. I don't think anybody outside of uh, us and a few other people really know who Harry and Helen Tasker are. Fuck, so it's I, Harry. It's not Henry. So, yes, you actually said the wrong name. Yeah. Felt weird coming out. Yeah. So I don't think there's a responsibility. This isn't like, you know, the McFlies where you have to kind of create the story of like that everybody knows, like mm. nobody knows the taskers, I guess is what, what I'm saying. Mm. So you're saying because the IP is less sort of well-known or less beloved that there's more freedom. I believe so. Yeah. So then cut to a series that is really beloved. Let's say you were adapting Lord of the Rings and creating the Rings of Power TV show. Yeah. How do you feel like you would approach that? In terms of responsibility to the actual books. Well, first, my response, I would first say, I'm someone who has not read Lord of the Rings. <laughs> so uh, I, I, would, I would come in and I would, first I would probably ask my writer's room what everybody loves about the Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. and who, who their characters are that they love. And if there's some overlap of who the characters are, I'd start to focus on that group of people. Mm-hmm. And then I would start thinking of what the thematic stories that we can tell, like, okay, well, what's, 
you know, Orlando Bloom's relationship to that little hobbit with the big feet? Like, what what goes on here? Like, is there a story there? My, I feel like I would start with, I would have to talk to the experts. And like, that's why you have to be a fan, even though Tony Gilroy is not. But I'm sure he, when he made... Uh, Andor. Andor. But I'm sure he had people in the writer's room. Well, that's the thing, is you, have, you surround yourself with people who will fact check you. Mm-hmm. Be like, actually, we probably shouldn't set this in this random bar. It should be in this specific bar on this specific planet. Yeah. And he'd be like, cool, I'll just do that. Yeah. Um, or he shouldn't be talking to this person. He should be talking to this person in this scene. You're like, cool, we'll just change yeah. that. But the actual core of the story is totally new. So why do you have to be a fan of Star Wars to write a totally new thing? You know- <sighs> I don't know if you need to, you know, like I was just thinking of um, Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. Oh God, I'm going to get killed. I'm going to mess this up what I'm about to say. But, no, but I feel like Mandalorian is its own thing when it first started. It was mm-hmm. just this bounty hunter doing his own thing. There were little hints of the Jedi regime. And there were little hints of Star Wars. Like it, it didn't, it almost felt like a standalone thing. And then you had Baby Yoda, who all of a sudden was like this meteor out of nowhere that made this like the greatest show of all time. And that was kind of the connective tissue it felt like to Star Wars in a very big way because you were like, oh my God, there's an iconic character, but he's a fucking baby. Mm-hmm. And I guess my point that I'm getting at is you can, I feel like you can set things in worlds and have rich characters that are sort of familiar, but not familiar at the same time. And mm-hmm. you can get away with anything. Yeah, I think that's the best case scenario with people who aren't fans of the IP is to give them an offshoot and surround them with people who love it. Because if you're Tony Gilroy, and this is what he did with the Bourne series, is you find the thing that makes it good. You find that kernel of what, exactly as you said, I'm just reiterating what you said. It's just the, the things that everyone loves, the things that make you feel something. And you write your story based on that. And then the world will fill itself up. Yeah. The world will become Star Wars as you write it and as people consult with you. But you don't have, that doesn't have to be your starting place. And I don't think should be your starting place. I think, interestingly, we both watched a video this week of James Cameron talking about the writing process for Avatar Way of Water. Mm -hmm. And he had a writer's room, I guess, write this script for him. And he said, when we all met, they all wanted to pitch all these new ideas. And he was like, no. He's like, I will literally fire you if you pitch another new idea. I want you to go back, watch the first movie, and tell me what worked in that Mm -hmm. movie. And what people came back with were the feelings that they had, the relationships that made them feel something, the themes that made them cry or lean in all these exciting things that had nothing to do with the plot had nothing to do with details or mythology because that at the end of the day is stuff that makes you feel like this show is cool or this movie is cool but it's not the thing that makes you feel something really Um, and that's coming from someone who loves big worlds i watched another show recently that's set in a big world and it was all mythology and I completely tuned out. Really? Completely tuned out. When I leaned in and was like, ooh, this is interesting, was when two characters were talking about their personal relationship and their 
how they broke up and we're now together. Like I was like, ooh, what's that? And and then it was set against this backdrop of a cool fantasy world, and that was fun. So yeah, I mean, we're kind of wandering here, but I think the point of this part of the conversation is when you're adapting IPs, starting not with the IP and facts about it, but feelings and characters that make you feel something is definitely the right way to go. Well, yeah, I guess, I mean, you may have just answered this, but as someone who is doing this right now, you are adapting IP, like yeah. what's your starting point? And how, and do you, and are, are you scared of what fans are going to say when they're like, <laughs> oh my God, you didn't include that one hobbit with the big feet. Where mm -hmm. was that? Like, you know what's interesting is I thought I would be more scared than I am because there's going to be people who are like, why didn't you include that thing? Why didn't you include that moment? Why didn't you include that character? Why did you change that character that way? That's terrible. And that's not how it was in the IP. And that's all true. But they, what they don't know is that in the process of developing this story for film or for TV, I know what this character does and I know what he should be doing and I know the moments that are iconic. But when I tried to put that into the movie or TV show, it didn't work. There's no way I could force that in yeah. and make it work, make it make sense. It's just not gonna happen in the medium that we have for film or TV. Two hour movie in particular is particularly hard. You really have to cherry pick the things and you end up losing a lot. And that's unfortunate, but then what the writer has to do is love the material just as much as everyone else, come to it like a fan and say, okay, it's sad to lose this aspect of the character or this awesome moment that was in the IP. I want to write that scene so bad, but if I wrote it, it would feel so random in this movie. I have to take it out or I have to change it and approach that moment in a different way. Because some things, for example, in the show that I'm writing now, there are moments that happen that were so key as a fan, just amazing, iconic, beautiful moments. But in the writing of it, I can't get there mm -hmm. so that it makes sense in the time that I'm given. We only have however many episodes and I just can't get there that way. So I have to get to that moment in a very different way. And I think you might be pissed that I'm getting there in a way that it actually didn't happen that way. But my hope is, that in reliving that moment and watching the show, you're gonna think, ah, oh, I still feel the same way. And I get why they did that. I get why they had to make that change. Or even better, you don't even realize they made the change. I yeah. think that happens in the Harry Potter movies so well, is that actually when you go back to the book and read it, you're like, oh, wait, it didn't happen that way? Yeah. Because the movies get you there without any logic holes. It gets you there so purely in terms of your emotional journey that you forget that it wasn't the way it wasn't that way in the book. So I guess I used to be scared of it, but now I'm not because I put in the work. And I know at the end of the day, if you're pissed off at me that I didn't get the character the way you wanted them, trust me, I tried, yeah. <laughs> but I just couldn't, it just couldn't work the way that we all want it to. Um, and you sometimes have to make sacrifices to tell the right story. But again, the hope is you're not going to notice anyways, because you're going to love it so much. Yeah, that's the hope. Yeah, and it, it's crazy because, well, I, for you in particular, I know that the, all the things you're working on, you're like the biggest fan of. You yes. know, So I trust, if I didn't know you, I would trust and be like, okay, I trust that she probably tried 
to fit X, Y, and Z into this hole, but it didn't happen. And so now that this is the way it is. And yeah, it's crazy to just, I'm definitely much more forgiving now being older and in the industry and seeing how things are done. You know, when you're younger and you watch like a Superman movie and you're like, well, that that's not realistic. Like wh- th- why did that happen? Clark Kent would never do this. And then, and then now you're, you're just like, I just like, I'm embarrassed by that young version of myself. Yeah. But yeah. Just to go back to this, the James Cameron thing. I think that's really important. The, the, the feeling that people get from things is like, that's to me, the magic sauce. Like that mm-hmm. is what is almost impossible to just do when you're trying to do it. You have to like really get there from, it sounds cheesy and creative, but like an emotional space because yeah. Amblin movies, for instance, think of Amblin movies, it's a feeling. It's not like, you know, you think of like an E.T. and, and you think of, uh, you know, any Steven Spielberg thing. That It's like a very distinct feel. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And I, and, I do uh, know what you mean. Yeah, feeling is everything. And thinking about, in particular, this this uh, person who emailed was like, do you feel obligated to certain characters, certain situations, or plot points? And the answer is sometimes yes. Like in the, in the thing I'm, uh, well, we'll just we'll talk about Tomb Raider. In Tomb Raider. Careful. Let's not talk about Tomb Raider. <laughs> and I'll just talk in vague strokes. And the thing I'm writing now that's not Tomb Raider, um, there are... There are, there are moments that are so key to the way characters unfolded or to the way you experienced a certain sort of plot pivot point or a twist in the story when you, you know, were experiencing the original IP that, you know, writers in the room will be like, well, let's not do that at all. And instead, let's have them do X, Y, Z. That's like totally out of left field. And I can see why they pitched that idea because as people who are not as familiar with the IP or not as longtime fans with the IP as I am, that plot point or that twist doesn't feel as important to them because they didn't experience it the way that I did. And so mm-hmm. to them, they can easily throw that away for the sake of telling a better story. And I have to, as the fan of the IP, be like, no, Unfortunately, that's a place where we can't actually pivot. That's a place where we do have to be really on point and find a way to make this moment that happened in the original IP work. So yeah. let's 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 put all our focus on doing that. And sure there may be like we can maybe like color outside the lines of that moment a little bit so it's not exactly as it was in the IP, but the feeling that I got from that moment in in the original IP, I need to can I need to maintain that. Because that is going to be something, A, that I need to see. Yeah. B, that is true to the characters and the experience of the IP. And C, is something the fans are going to want. And that's usually not a piece of the puzzle that I include. I think because I'm a fan already, I don't think, oh, well, but what would fans want? Because I also think that as soon as you say, what would fans want? That brings you down a very dangerous path. Because as this email sort of insinuates... Fans get really mad about very specific things and very different things that aren't about telling a good story. It's just about them missing things from the original IP. And, you know, we're all sorry that they don't make it in. But sometimes the better story can't include those things. 
And by the way, I mean, now I'm kind of going off track, but nobody, like if everyone collectively loves one thing about an IP, that's probably going to be in the IP, like in the recreation of it. But what makes things special is that everyone loves different things about the IP. So it's impossible to service the millions upon millions of fans of whatever the IP is. So you're always going to have people angry at you if you're if mm-hmm. you're tackling IP. Just it's it's almost like a badge of honor. I mean, there's if you're if everyone's happy, I mean that'd be weird. I, I don't. Yeah. I think that's impossible. But I will. And the last thing I'll say is like with IP, it also seems tricky because, and I don't know if you've experienced this, but it seems tricky because uh, let's just take Tomb Raider for example. Fans of Tomb Raider are already going to watch Tomb Raider. They're going to mm-hmm. give it a shot, but. It's almost like, are you making the show for the fans or are you making the show for the fans and a new generation of fans? So mm-hmm. you're almost trying to create something that services both parties. When t- I'm not saying this specifically for Tomb Raider. I'm just saying this for tackling IP. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, but I feel like there's a, a fine line to walk when it comes to both of those. It's definitely the hard part of adapting is, and as a fan, coming to it and saying, I need this to service me (laughs) and like the show that I would want this to be. But I also can't be so specific to the IP that you, Josh Hallman, who's never played a Tomb Raider game, Mm. can't watch the show. Like I need you to watch the show and be like, this is an amazing show. You're so right for loving Tomb Raider. It is amazing. It's like, yeah, right? See, come come with this entry point of Tomb Raider the animated series and love it the way that I fell in love with it. So I need to present to you the same feeling that I got when I played Tomb Raider and fell in love with it as a little kid. But I can't do it with specifics. I can't start suddenly open the show with specific things from Lara's backstory that you have no idea what that is because you didn't play the games. So now you're just confused. And that's the show that I mentioned before that I really love those two characters but was confused by everything else. That's what they did Mm. is they assumed previous knowledge of the IP and then just started with spouting out names and relationships between different countries and you know made up organizations because it was a fantasy world and you're like wait what are all these fake names who are they all related to i don't i can't contain all that in my brain but oh this relationship story i understand that and i can relate to that and that's really cool and one of them's an elf like that's awesome because now i'm in a world and i can relate to this relationship but it has an elf in it so like that's what you want to do with all ip so I don't even remember your original question that got me fired up. Do you think it's going to be controversial when everyone finds out you changed Lara Croft into a man? You know, men are just better action heroes. (laughs) So I feel like we all just have to live with this fact. Oh, Oh, man. (laughs) God, I feel queasy. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. I don't know. Did we answer any questions? I think so. I think so. In terms of... Whether someone's going to love, loathe, or be ambivalent towards your show. Again, I, you can't really think about those things. I mean, and you never think about those things when you write any of your stuff. It's just, mm. if you throw love on the page and it's... But here's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember when we had Christopher Yost on and he was talking about Cowboy Bebop? Yeah, I he think created about it every day. Yeah. That show. He talked about loving that IP and really translating it in a way that moved him. 
and people <laughs> it's a very controversial show and people really hate it or some people <laughs> really love it but a lot of people really hated it and felt like it missed the mark from the ip that they loved and fell mm. in love with so i don't know i mean i think you just give it your best shot <laughs> give it the old college try yeah, I mean, you guys, I love Tomb Raider so much, and I love the show that I'm making. And if you hate it, I'm so sorry, because I really tried hard <laughs> to make this amazing. And I don't know what to say. Like, I didn't try to fuck it up. <laughs> you know? uh, I'm, I'm excited. You know, the other good thing is that we live in such a crazy time with Twitter uh, that everyone gets shit on. Like, it's so commonplace now for people to be mad that I almost feel like people have been... What like the if someone gets mad at you, you're gonna be like, <laughs> okay, big deal. Everyone's mad on Twitter. Like, what yeah. else is new? But whereas before, it, it seemed like it probably could mess people up pretty badly because the outrage machine wasn't as loud. But now it's it's normal. You know, I don't think Twitter people are going to bother me as much as like reviews written in actual magazines, magazines, online publications. Yeah. Oof. Uh, like an actual critic tearing apart your show and saying, you know, it was stupid or childish or all the other well, mean adjectives they use to describe shows they don't like, that will hurt. Can I ask you a question? Do we, do I have your permission to get on a critic, a critic that bashes something that, that, uh, you're adapting? And so we get can on get them. No, get put the critic on this podcast, yes. so we yes. all can have a conversation. Yes, and we'll have I that. I would love that. Me too. I would love that for any anything anything that we've ever write. If someone doesn't like something, I would love that because they can say this is what I had a problem with, and I can explain why. No. <laughs> I mean that's like a dream, right? This <laughs> is like, it. Be like, well, this is why we did that. Yeah, we should do it in person too. So they're like, you know, people aren't as courageous or are more courageous when they're behind a computer screen. Mm. Fuckers. Okay. <laughs> I'm already mad at nobody. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it'll have a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes and nobody will dislike it. <laughs> I'm going to find like that one critic in Boise who's <laughs> just angry. <laughs> Bring them on. All right. Well, anonymous person who sent us this email yeah. if you have any follow-up questions please send them because this is a topic we definitely all love to talk about <laughs> josh and i both love ip are huge fans of it I do. and love to write on it back to the future and i'm gonna reboot it one day please 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 do this tv show <laughs> the back to the future tv show yes <clears throat> I already know how it's done. I know how to do I it. I know. <laughs> I'm going to cry so hard when I, on, on this podcast, when I read in deadline, like it's being developed and I have no, no part of it whatsoever. That won't happen. You'll at least be a writer. Okay. Quote of the day. Yeah. I think new writers are too worried. It has all been said before. Sure it has, but not by you. Asha Dornfest. I like that. Please remember to read and subscribe. Follow us at Act Two Writers for more awesome writing stuff. You can follow me, Tasha, at Story Thursday on Instagram or on Twitter at Tasha 3.0. I'm Joshua Hallman on Twitter, Josh Hallman on Instagram. 
And as always, the Act 2 podcast is a production of Act 2, a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter. This episode was edited by Paul Lundquist, music by 414BEG, which you can find on Spotify.